So have you ever, <coughs> have you ever stumbled upon an something in an unexpected place, discovering something remarkable where you least expect it? Like finding a rare flower blossoming in kind of the corner of the, the churchyard or something like that. Or maybe a breathtaking view as you turn a corner that you'd never seen before. Life's profound moments often come when we least expect them. A little bit like the disciples. And it says in the passage, doesn't it, the disciples find Jesus there talking to the Samaritan woman. They're quite they're a little bit surprised. But then again, are they fully surprised? But she has been surprised by what Jesus knew about her. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked uh, in our previous exploration of that actual encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We talked and explored that passage, delved into the encounter between them uh, personally, both the, the two of them, and a meeting that sparked transformation for her and also revealed profound truths uh, in all that Jesus said about her and about the way she was living and about the way she should be living. You might also remember that Jews and Samaritans didn't mix at all, which made that encounter even more profound. Uh, <clears throat> and then they just didn't mix with a specific group of people. And we also thought about living water, about how that can transform Jesus' presence and the Spirit can transform our thoughts and actions to enable us to worship him in spirit and truth. So that was a couple of weeks ago on to today. Now, isn't it odd that at the start of this section, the John, the, of John, the disciples are more, aren't particularly questioning about Jesus' actions. It even says, even states, that they didn't ask why Jesus was talking to this strange Samaritan woman, a woman that he didn't know, and a woman that any other rabbi would not have mixed with. Maybe they're just so puzzled and shocked to find him here sitting by a well, talking to this person. Or perhaps they've reached that point of, knowing Jesus well enough to expect him to be talking to someone who was marginalised, someone out there uh, on the fringe and just didn't, just didn't react. Now if I suddenly stood over here, did a handstand in the middle of my sermon, uh, or maybe I actually sat where Sue's sitting there and did my whole sermon preaching from the back, what would your reaction be? Molly's giggling because she didn't believe I could do a handstand and I did one at Sooster the other day. If you need, if you need video evidence, ask Bex, she has the video. Um, but yeah, what would you do? What would your reaction be? It would be something completely different, completely unexpected. You would just expect me actually to stand here and continue my sermon. I'm almost tempted, but not in a jacket. <laughs> So the disciples' reaction here, it mirrors our response when we get used to the patterns and styles and actions of our church and the people around us. So much so, we're more puzzled if they aren't doing what they normally do. So if I were to be doing my sermon on a handstand kind of thing, you'd be a little bit surprised. You, but you wouldn't be, yeah. It would have been more difficult for the disciples to see Jesus sat there like the woman sat there and him sat like this that would be more hard for them to understand because he wouldn't ignore the woman. He wouldn't ignore a marginalised person. He would constantly, and he, throughout the Gospels, we hear stories of how he reached out to people and challenged them and cha tried to get them to change their life and commit to God's ways. Jesus didn't act like all the other Jewish leaders. And then in verse 28, it says the woman who, who actually, she probably was still surprised and shocked by her encounter and by all that Jesus knew and challenged and inspired, she went back to her town and told the people there all about the encounter, how he knew her inside out, how he accepted her for who she was despite what she'd done, despite knowing what she'd done in her past. And then he invited her to a new way of life 
a way that would ultimately bring all people together to worship God in spirit and truth. Now her testimony must have been equally surprising but also inspiring to her peers that she went back to. She went back to those people in the town and to begin with they were, they were probably a bit like, hang on, a Jewish rabbi spoke to you, quite surprised by even someone engaging in conversation. But they could also see the change that had happened in her and what had sparked inside of her and both things caused them as a people to be intrigued and inquisitive about this man Jesus. And then verse 30 says, they then came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then Jesus shares a conversation with the disciples that they don't fully understand as always or grasp what it means. So they've got this body of people walking towards them. And in the moments before they arrive, Jesus and the disciples have this dialogue. The disciples do urge him to have something to eat because they've got back with all this food and they have something to eat. And then Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about, which must have confused them. They've just been sent for food and they come back and he's he's telling them, well, I've just got some. I'm plenty satisfied. I'm plenty full. It's almost a little bit like if you arranged to get a takeaway with a friend and then you turned up with this bountiful kind of Chinese or pizza or something like that and go, don't worry about it, I've got something. And then sat down. It's kind of that type of a moment. And I'm sure the questions the disciples had were probably a little bit confused, a little bit frustrated, but they had questions in their mind. You can almost imagine them thinking, hang on a minute, I didn't see anyone coming back from the town and has he just had the kind of the... the there's no one for miles nothing no one anywhere and then Jesus goes further he says my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work Jesus is actually telling them about a spiritual sustenance spiritual satisfaction that we get from doing the work of God he has through through the li- <clears throat> he has through living in line with the will of the father a different type of peace and fulfillment a different a, a satisfaction that he has And that's what it provides him. In a similar way to the the living water we talked about last time, he has just just spoken to the woman that well about the impact that that has. The work of doing the will of the Father has a similar impact. Jesus here describes how he is fully reliant on God, so much that he's sustained by being in line with and carrying out the will and work of the Father. So much that he is hungry for, he's craving to do what God wants him to do to do and find and discover the purpose that God has for his life and his ministry. And the disciples don't appear to have long to contemplate what he says or the fact that they misunderstood most of it because actually the people are walking towards them. They might only have had a moment to think, did he have the Middle Eastern equivalent of Uber uh, delivered whilst they were gone? And then in verse 35 and 36, he changes his focus. He changes his focus to what's unfolding in front of them. So those people that had left the town are now imminently closer, physically walking towards them. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest, a harvest for eternal life. And he's speaking about those people that are right in front of them, walking towards them. The people that have heard the testimony from the woman that he inspired and encouraged and challenged. And they're coming hungry to find out more to discover what it means to have their spiritual needs and desires satisfied. He's also teaching about the eternal harvest that is plentiful and available all of the time. Sharing a similar thought in Matthew 9, where he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest fields. And Jesus shares with them that the role of a sower and reaper, though different, they are both overlap. So they are both taking place at the same time. And because of the spiritual hunger that the people have inside them, and God's hunger and thirst for relationship with those people, it is a constant rotation, a constant series of planting and reaping of planting seeds in people's lives that we might not see actually come to fruition. And these verses in John show us that the work begun by Jesus and the disciples all those years ago continues today, continues through us today and other Christians around the world. And it will go on to continue long into the future until he returns. And the satisfaction that the work of God gives us is amazing. And we are part of this unified harvest from back then and way into the future that leads towards a point of recreation for all the people of the whole of earth and heaven. And Jesus, like I've said, is completely sustained by that work, teaching his disciples, which is us as well, that we are also called to be part of that work and we can be sustained by it. The way we, the way we model and share good news of eternal life through Jesus both sows seeds, but it also gathers in the harvest for God. It creates new growth in all the things we do. And we must remember that we inherit his spirit and truth, uh, and the work that we do causes those seeds to be planted and to grow. And sometimes we might be lucky enough to be there when one of those seeds matures and blooms, when someone commits their life to Jesus, when someone steps into the kingdom. In our everyday interactions, however, that gives us a challenge because we need to be thinking about how are we helping people grow? How are we showing and modelling Jesus in a way that enables new growth, that enables them to start believing and trusting in God? And then we move on to verse 39. And it says, The Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony, hearing her account and seeing the change in her. The bold testimony triggers a wave of belief among her people, causing them to want to know more and to encounter Jesus for themselves. And then when they do, when he spends time with them, that encounter solidifies their faith. They call him the saviour of the world. They transition from a belief based on her words and actions to a profound understanding of what Jesus is, who Jesus is, how he is the saviour. And their journey reflects the transformative power of encountering Jesus firsthand. And if we consider the whole of chapter 4, we're shown a model for creating new growth for the kingdom of God. Last time we considered what it looks like when we are worshipping in spirit and truth and what that does to our own personal discipleship, and we seek God in unexpected places, and how the spirit can fill us and empower us and enable us to go out and grow his kingdom. And then in this second half of the chapter, We see how sometimes we miss what's right in front of us because we're so used to what normally happens, missing what God might already be doing uh, or uh, or want us to get involved with. And Jesus is teaching us that there is and will always be a harvest ready and plentiful to be taken in, but also harvest fields to be planted. And we play a part in both planting those seeds and collecting those that seeds in or collecting that harvest in. So let's jump to our lives today. Consider the implications of the passage on your life. Just as the Samaritan woman rushed to share her newfound faith, 
We're called to share our encounters with Christ. We're called to share our faith. Our lives are filled with encounters and often we, like I say, we can sometimes miss them, but often we do encounter Jesus. But do we share the news of that? And through our actions, are we softening hearts and preparing souls for new growth, for new relationships with God? And our words and actions, when we think about it, might be the first or the last things a person sees or hears before they accept Jesus into their life, for good or for bad. Then can we discover the life, they can then discover the life-sustaining power of a life committed to God and the teaching that Jesus gives in the Gospels and in the whole of the Bible, redeemed by him with the Father and coached by the Holy Spirit to continue to grow his kingdom here in Thrapston and beyond. So although the disciples initially seemed confused, uh, our own journey of understanding and depths of truth can sometimes be a bit like that. The Samaritans progress from curiosity to belief resonates deeply with many people, I'm sure. It signifies that personal testimonies and direct encounters with God can cause massive growth in both us and the people around us. And we're reminded that true salvation and fulfilment lie not in worldly pursuits, but in surrendering to God's will, just as Jesus found nourishment in doing the will and purpose of the Father, we too can find that nourishment as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray to you, we ask that you help us to remember and reflect on our encounters with you, to see you in creation and see you all around enacting your will and purpose for this place. May we be like the Samaritan woman, boldly sharing our faith, and may our hearts be transformed and nourished and fulfilled by your spirit and truth as we go out to grow your kingdom. And at this Christmas time, as we invite people along, may we see new growth in our church and community here. Amen.